0: Good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, hi, my name's Paul. I'm one of the leaders here at Central Vineyard. And yes, we are streaming it this morning, hence the jacket. What do you think? (laughs) Looking snazzy? Well, I thought I did. Anyway, today I'm continuing in our series called More Than a Name, where we're looking at the name of God. Looking at what God's name says about God and what it means about how we relate to God. And to do that, we've been focusing on this paragraph in Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7. And each week, we've been taking a sentence from that paragraph and going into it in more detail. and really, really examining it and seeing how that each part of God's self-declaration of his own name, how it applies to our own lives and also our relationship to God. And you know what? Exodus 34 verses 6 to 7 is the most quoted part of the Bible by the Bible. And the reason for that is because here is where God declares who he is. Here is where God declares his name. It's one of the few places in the Bible where God actually says, this is what I am like. This is who I am. So, if you have a Bible with you, whether that's physical, electronic, Then please turn to Exodus 34. We'll also have the verses up on the screens. So Exodus 34, verse 6. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. So, so far, we've covered Yahweh. We've covered Yahweh Elohim. We've covered compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So, in other words, we've covered the first verse of our two verses. And I reckon by rough maths, that's that's about two and a half hours Worth of talks. Well, today I'm going to be covering that second of our two verses. So, about two and a half hours. Are you ready? Don't worry. I think I can get it in about half the time. Some of you are busy working out the maths. <laughs> not sure whether I'm joking or not. I am. Don't worry. We should be out here in about 20, 25 minutes. I hope. So let's have a look at that verse again, Exodus 34, verse seven: maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the fourth, third, and fourth generation. Starts off really well, doesn't it? I I I think so. And then some might argue it kind of goes downhill fairly rapidly. Yahweh God punishes the children for the sin of their parents? What's up with that? Surely that's one of the parts of the Bible that we just don't talk about. We just pretend it isn't there. I know what you're thinking. I've never seen a fridge magnet or a decorative wall plaque or a verse image with God punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents. So you know what? I reckon I found a gap in the market. So here it is. There you go. Beautiful, isn't it? That took a lot of work. Pete would be proud of me. He would think that's so good. So yeah, I'm selling them at a really, really cheap price. Afterwards, if you're interested, I've also done some t-shirts. If you're interested, then... No, well, that was a waste of time then, wasn't it? Seriously, there are parts of the Bible that, if we're honest, we really don't want to think too much about. And we really hope that our friends, especially those who aren't followers of Jesus, we really hope they never ask about them. So I've got some good news and some bad news. First, the bad news. The bad news is we do not get to pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we're more comfortable with. We don't get to choose the bits that we think are, you know, are fluffy and nice and encouraging and ignore the rest. As followers of Jesus, we must follow his example. And Jesus took all of scripture very seriously. If you don't agree with me, then just look at Matthew Chapter 5, verses 17 and 19. Have a look at that first. Then if you still disagree with it, come and have a conversation with me. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy three sixteen, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We do not get to pick and choose. When we come up against something in Scripture that we don't like, then we don't ignore it. Instead, we deal with it. That means we question it. We wrestle with it. We probe it. We study it. Maybe even argue with it. But I hope in the end that we eventually say yes to it. That's the bad news. The good news is I do not think that this verse means what you think it means, or at least what some of you think it means. I personally, bizarrely, have been really looking forward to this particular talk because when you really unpack what verse 7 is all about, it is amazing. I may have set the bar slightly high, but I think it's amazing. So hopefully I've got you all interested or at least a little bit intrigued. So let's crack on. Let's look at the first easier part of the verse. Maintaining love to thousands. Steve spoke last week about hesed, the Hebrew word for love in this context. It's Yahweh's covenantal love. Yahweh is maintaining this covenantal love. Not only does Yahweh abound in love, that he overflows in love, but he maintains that love. He will keep that covenant love. And the good news is, it isn't for the few. It's for the thousands. This is the Hebrew way of expressing Yahweh's love. God's love is effectively limitless. It's not it gets to number 1,000, then you're out of luck if you're 1,001. What it means is, it's limitless. There is no end to his love. It is for the thousands. On to the next part of the verse. Yahweh says that he is forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Some might think that forgiveness of sin is something new with Jesus and the New Testament. That Jesus is the really cool son who says, you know, come on, dad, let's not kill everyone. Let's forgive them instead. But the term forgiveness is actually used six times. 158 times in the Old Testament. And this is before we even get to Jesus and the cross. Why? Because Yahweh forgives. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And you might wonder, why, why these three words? Why not just say, Yahweh forgives sin? And the reason is, we see the words, Wickedness, rebellion, and sin used throughout the Old Testament to represent all the forms of depravity and brokenness of the human condition. It's the equivalent of saying sin of all shapes and sizes. So God forgives sin of all shapes and sizes. The big whopping sins as well as the smaller sins. They are all the same to God. He will forgive them all. But more than that, He doesn't just forgive. Yahweh is forgiving. Remember, these verses in Exodus 34 are a self-declaration of God's name. His very character, it's who He is. This is the deep, innermost essence of who Yahweh is. Yahweh is forgiving. The biblical scholar and theologian Douglas Stewart wrote this in his commentary on Exodus. He, God, does not reluctantly forgive sins against himself and others. He does so eagerly as a manifestation of his character. God does not forgive reluctantly, but he forgives eagerly. God cannot wait to forgive. He is eager to forgive. But on the other side of the coin, the next part of the verse says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke about how God is slow to anger, but that he will eventually get angry because he hates sin. God is forgiving but he is also just. He will bring justice to the world. He will bring justice to the guilty. There are some that will not be forgiven. It's true. Hold on there. I thought you said, Paul, that God is forgiving, that he's eager to forgive. He is but not everyone will get that forgiveness because there are some that do not want God's forgiveness. Some because they deny that they are sinful. Maybe you've heard uh, the biblical verse before in Romans 3.23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, there are many in today's society and culture who simply reject that idea that all have sinned, because they certainly don't sin. The problem is is that we now live in a blame culture. Anything wrong in the world today, according to the prevailing culture, is because of someone else's fault. Our culture constantly shifts blame. Maybe it's the immigrants, or the bankers, or the politicians, or our own neighbors. It's always someone else's Fault. Brexit showed that half of the country blamed Europe. Okay, maybe that's going a little too far, but there are some that believed that. The point is that some think that the problem of evil is everyone else, not them. They have done nothing wrong. They are innocent. They don't need forgiveness. And so, sadly, they won't get it. John Mark Homer, author of God Has a Name, which the book that this series is based upon said, if we refuse to even admit we are sinful, then we can't receive Yahweh's forgiveness. Forgiveness is like a gift. You have to reach out, take it, and open the box. You have to say yes to it. There are some, though, that know that they sin. They know about human sinfulness, but they just don't care. In fact, they're happy to brag that they are sinners. They don't care if it hurts others, themselves, or the heart of God. Most in this category do not even believe there is a creator God. And if there is, then, to be honest, they don't really want anything to do with him. The way they see it is life is for living and who cares who gets hurt along the way. And if they remain on their paths, neither of these groups of people will receive God's forgiveness. God will not just turn a blind eye and go, oh, well, they were only having some fun. God is just, which is a good thing. One day, God will put an end to all evil in all its forms, to all injustice, once and for all. One day, when Jesus comes again, he will destroy sin for good. He will bring evil to its knees. But but remember, Yahweh is forgiving. God is not inflexible. If you repent, if we repent, then God responds and God does forgive. He has made a way for us to receive his forgiveness and we just have to say yes to it. John Marcoma put it this way: Because Yahweh is forgiving, we don't have to cower in fear and dread Jesus' return. We can take our wickedness, rebellion, and sin straight to the cross and let it die on Jesus' shoulders. And because Yahweh is also just, we can look forward to a day when his son, Jesus, will judge the world banish evil forever, and lead humanity to a glorious horizon. That's the gospel. But, I hear you say, what about Yahweh punishing kids for the sins of their parents or grandparents? Okay, we've reached that part. Are you ready? Uh, Some of you are not too sure. Well, ready or not, here we go. Next part. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents. The straightforward reading of this part of the verse seems to imply that Yahweh God will punish your children and your grandchildren for any sins that you commit. In other words, if you sin, not only will you get zapped by God for it, then so will your kids and their kids as well. You know, just to make sure the message gets out there, do not sin. Now, given everything that we have heard and learned about the character of God, the character of Yahweh over the last few weeks, does the straightforward reading of that verse seem to align to God's character? Does it align with a God who has declared himself to be compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. It's not a rhetorical question, does it? Yes, no, maybe. Some of you are just thinking, Paul, don't put me on the spot. I didn't know there would be a test. The answer you're looking for is no. So if that is the case, then maybe the straightforward reading of this text is missing something. Maybe it means something else. Well, I think there are a couple of layers here. The first layer is that parents' sin has consequences for their children's future. What do I mean by that? Well, I believe this part of the verse is saying that your sin doesn't only have real consequences in your life, but it has real consequences for your family as well. And if we think about this, this isn't hard to recognize in families. If parents run, I don't know, a mess drug lab, you know, Breaking Bad style, then when they eventually get arrested, which they will, and get sent to jail, then what happens to little Jimmy? He ends up in the foster care system, most likely passed from home to home. If he doesn't end up with a good family, then he could be out on the street when he turns 18. Even if he is lucky and gets into a good home, then there will likely be some impact psychologically and emotionally later in life. What about children whose parents get divorced because of an affair or violence in the home? I speak from personal experience that can have a devastating impact on a child. It can lead to trust issues, insecurity, commitment issues, a whole bunch of stuff. I am forever grateful that I came to follow Jesus whilst I was at university and that I was able to work through a bunch of this stuff before I met my amazing wife, Esther. Brownie points? (laughs) Believe me, Kids do suffer the fallout of their parents' sin. But I think there is another layer here. I believe that Yahweh is saying, sin runs in the family. Have you ever heard the following phrase or idiom in relation to someone's children? The apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. Or like father, like son. One we, or should say I, use all often, is you are definitely your mother's daughter. (laughs) Like the color of our hair, our eyes, or our quirky personality traits are passed down from one generation to the next, so it is true of sin, our sinful habits. One generation's sin often becomes the next generation's sin, and the next, and the next. I see it in my own family. I inherited a foul temper, a few so short that it was almost non-existent. Now, although anger and short-temperedness isn't necessarily a sin, it can lead to the kind of violence that certainly is. I saw it with my father and the way he treated my mother. And prior to me becoming a follower of Jesus, then I was on exactly the same trajectory to become just like my father in that regard. I had a foul temper that would often lead to violence. I remember one time fighting two guys, one of whom had a knife, in the middle of a main road in London, rolling around on the roads, cars and buses coming to a screech, coming to a halt. Why? Why would I do that? Because they dared to sound their horn at me as I was reversing into a parking spot. I remember one time getting so mad at my girlfriend that I threw a mug at her, narrowly missing her head, and it smashing on the wall behind her. I tell you these things not because I'm proud of them. I'm far from proud of any of those things. And it wasn't as if I'd been taught to behave that way, although maybe subconsciously I had. I think it was probably both nature and nurture. I thank God every day, though, that I met Jesus and he broke that generational sin over my life. Do I still get angry occasionally? Of course, I'm human. But year by year, day by day, because of my discipleship to Jesus, I'm getting better. And I'm nothing like I was before I met Jesus. And even today, I do see that temper, that anger occasionally appear in my daughters. And they definitely didn't get it from Esther. Esther is the very definition of long-suffering and slow to anger. Trust me, I wouldn't be here otherwise. But they definitely got it from me. The point is this, sin often goes from one generation to the next. And because Yahweh is just, he will continue to punish sin in each and every every generation, until it is completely gone. John Mark Homer put it this way. Don't think that because God punished your daddy for idolatry, you're off the hook for your own idolatry. God will punish you the same way he punished your father, the same way he punished your grandfather, the same way he punished your great-grandfather, because his end goal is, to, is a world free from evil, and he won't stop until the eradication of sin in your family line, is complete. Hopefully, you feel a little bit better now about he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents. But if you're still uneasy, then I think the next bit will give you some reassurance to the third and fourth generation. In the original Hebrew, the word generation isn't there, um, or even the equivalent of it. It's not in the text. It was added for English readers to try and understand this Hebrew idiom. The biblical scholar Tim Mackey, who is one of the guys behind the Bible Project videos and podcasts. If you've never listened or watched those, please do. They're, they're brilliant. But he says that Exodus 34 verses 6 to 7 has this poetic rhythm to it. And therefore, whatever word comes after thousands is the same word that should come after to the third and fourth. So verse seven could read, maintaining love to thousands of generations, and he punishes the children to the third and fourth generation. Or more accurately, it could read, maintaining love to thousands, and he punishes the children to the third and fourth. Do you see what I'm getting at? Do you see this picture of these verses? they're painting this picture. Imagine, for example, scales of justice. On one side is God's mercy, His love and forgiveness, and on the other side is God's justice. I have a picture, if we could get that up. It really doesn't do it justice, no, no pun intended. But imagine if this was even more uneven than that. Yes. He punishes the third and the fourth, but God's mercy so significantly outweighs his justice. He maintains his love, his mercy, his forgiveness to the thousands. Yahweh is just, which is good news. But Yahweh is also merciful and loving, and he cannot help but show mercy. He cannot help but be forgiving. When he's justice and mercy, he's justice and and forgiveness come up against each other, then mercy and forgiveness will win every time. And for that, I am personally very grateful. Okay, managed to get through the whole verse in just over 20 minutes. Give me five more minutes just as we, we wrap up. So what does this all mean to us today? How does this impact our relationship with God and how we live our lives? I think it comes down to a couple of key things. First, that we recognize that Yahweh is just, that he will absolutely deal with sin in our lives one way or the other. Sin is dehumanizing. It stops us fulfilling all that God has created us to be. And sin is its own punishment. The punishment for porn, for example, is a walked mine, The inability to see women or men as anything but an object of lust and sexual gratification. But it also impacts your sexual intimacy with your spouse. The punishment for lying, cheating and stealing is that you will eventually get caught and then everything, like a house of cards, will come tumbling down, leading to ruined relationships, ruined reputation, ruined lives. The punishment for gossip is a loss of trust, fractures relationships, and people stop being open with you. The list goes on and on. If we keep on sinning despite God's mercy, then one day we risk God's punishing us for that sin. And trust me, you do not want to be God's enemy. But there is good news. Jesus, Yahweh in the flesh, died on the cross so that you can receive the forgiveness of God freely. And Jesus rose again after three days so that we can look forward with hope to the new creation, the kingdom of God coming on earth. It cost Yahweh everything, but costs us nothing. If you repent, if you return to Jesus, then you can receive Yahweh's forgiveness. You can reclaim your humanity. God is eager to wipe the slate clean as he pours out his mercy and forgiveness on you. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Yahweh is forgiving. Jesus Yahweh made flesh is forgiving. And as God has forgiven us, so we should forgive others. This is my last point before we land and we come into a time of ministry. If we are followers of Jesus, then we must also be forgiven. The author and theologian C.S. Lewis once said this about forgiveness. Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Forgiveness seems so easy to receive, yet it's so hard to do. How many times have you thought, I cannot forgive that person? You don't know what they've done. And I get it. I've been there. But Lewis also said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Forgiveness is our response to God's forgiveness of us. The theologian, N.T. Wright, I've got him in there. Pull it this way. Every time you forgive someone else, you pass on a drop of water out of the bucket full of forgiveness that God has already given you. That's a great picture, isn't it? So today, I want us to come to our time of ministry asking yourself these questions, and I want you to seriously ask yourself these questions. First, have I ever accepted Yahweh's forgiveness by accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior? If you've already done that, then ask yourself, do I need to repent, to turn away from persistent sin in my life? Yahweh hates sin. So don't let it get in the way of an intimate relationship with him. Remind yourself of his forgiveness. And finally, who do I need to forgive? Who have I not forgiven despite how much I have been forgiven? I know there isn't a person here today for whom one of these questions does not apply in some way. So with that said, and if you're able to, then please stand.